You're listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you very much. Um, so today we are going to be having a juicy discussion about redefining leadership in turbulent times. We've got four highly accomplished individuals joining us on stage today and the panel is also being recorded as a podcast for M Pavilion. You can find it online and on Apple iTunes. So you've already met one of the panellists this morning, Lord Mayor Sally Cap. She started her career as a solicitor and isn't afraid of a challenge. She was the first woman to be appointed Agent General for Victoria in London, the first to be on the board of Collingwood Football Club and also the first woman to be directly elected as Lord Mayor of Melbourne. Sally, I'm always finding out new things about you. I was reading on your website that your first job was working at an ice cream parlour in Camberwell. So I know I said I'm not going to grill the panellists today, but a burning question, what is your favourite ice cream flavour? Passion fruit. Yep, we'll have to get passion fruit (laughs) said with a lot of passion. Uh, We'll make sure the mics are on um, for the rest of the panel. But that is that's a very uh, fancy ice cream flavour. Not not what I would have expected. Mine's um, anything but nuts. I'm a bit nutty. Uh, Our next panel speaker for today is the 2021 Melbourneian of the Year. She had never seen a game of AFL when she first moved from America to Australia, but now she's the president of the Richmond Football Club. She loves a good board. She's a member of Women's Housing Limited, Australia Dimension Network and Fulbright Australia. And just last week, she became Chancellor of RMIT. So please welcome to the stage Peggy O'Neill. Our next guest is the brand director of HQ Group, a hospitality collective responsible for some of the iconic establishments you've probably seen or visited around town. They're the masterminds behind Coffee HQ, Arbury Afloat, and the recently opened Herbar, where I personally went to have a classy drink on the final night of my comedy festival run, and I really loved it. He's a board member of the Yarra River Business Association and the Melbourne Fringe Festival Hospitality Committee. He's also on the board for the Attractions Policy Committee for VI. VTIC, the peak body for Victorian tourism and events. And in 2019, him and his team won the inaugural Hospitality Award. So please put your hands together for Daniel Manley. And Daniel, I had a quick question for you, since you're all about eating and drinking. If you could drink one drink for the rest of your life, what would it be? Coffee is pretty uh, high on the agenda for me. Yep, coffee. Yeah, espresso martini or something else? Sorry? Espresso martini. This is a question from the mayor. I'm just saying louder. Uh, I I strangely don't drink, so I work in hospitality, but yeah. My goodness. That's two shocking facts today. I found out today that Sally doesn't drink coffee. Like, I think we need to take the Lord Mayorship off her. (laughs) 
And last but not least, we have the founder and director chair of the Waterwell Project, a not-for-profit organisation that delivers healthcare information sessions to migrants, refugees and asylum seeker communities throughout Victoria. She's also a paediatric, that's a hard word, isn't it? I add that to my tongue twisters when I warm up for this kind of event, paediatric infectious diseases physician who works at the Royal Children's Hospital, Austin Health and Cabrini Health. And most importantly, she won a Melbourne Award in 2018. So please welcome Dr. Linny Fong. <laughs> wait for that to connect. Hi. Hello, everyone. So we're going to have a quick, sharp 30-minute-ish panel. I know you've got to dash off to some more commitment, Sally, but today's topic is about leadership in turbulent times, and I suppose I'll ask all of you, what do you think leadership is as a definition? You're starting with me because I'm warmed up. Yes, you are warmed uh, up. You have a... uh, leadership, wow, that is a broad question. Um, something I learned early in my career is uh, that one aspect of leadership is being able to make decisions. Uh, there are lots of people who will analyse and give you options uh, and look at all of the various scenarios that are available, uh, but ultimately somebody needs to take responsibility for making decisions, uh, and that's often the scariest mm. part, uh, but it's really important. The next thing I learnt, Annie, was that as soon as you've made a decision, quickly assess whether it was the right decision and uh, make another decision if necessary. Uh, but I think in leadership, having that strength and that courage uh, and being willing to make decisions is key. Yep. Peggy. Well, um, I learned early on that leadership has nothing to do with titles, that it has to do with um, usually how people feel about you and the, the values you epitomise. Um, someone said to me once, you're not a leader if no one's following. And I think that goes back to the title doesn't really matter. And if you can't persuade people that something's important and to your view and maybe around boardroom tables that's uh, quite, um, uh, I guess, obvious that uh, there's one collective decision and there's no individual decision. So if you feel strongly about something, uh, and sometimes that's the leadership that no one ever sees. But, um, but I always think that it has to do with um, you as a person more than the title and, and the way the effect you have on people to convince them that the decision is the right one or the decision we should make. Um, so that's sort of the way I approach things is um, uh, every, every opportunity for leadership, it, they come quite often, quite yeah. often. Yeah, can't wait to dig into more of that. Uh, I, th I think we've got to be honest. Um, uh, way out of my crease in terms of the, 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 the company on the stage here this morning. But um, uh, for me, leadership is about um, people, influence and change. Um, and so while I work for a hospitality firm, uh, everything we do is uh, it's emotive and, and we affect people, both uh, team members and, and guests. Um, and people aren't judged on um, how few um, mistakes they made. It's uh, how they handle those mistakes. Um, so I think a, a good leader, you know, attracts, develops, um, and fulfills talent. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Um, I'll jump in. I think for me, leadership's about yeah, people and, and the people around you. In that, I think everyone actually is a, a leader. So. Um, I think leadership really for me is about, you know, being a good role model, whether it's, you know, within your household, within you know, the, the setting that you work. Um, I think it's very contextual. And I think just, yeah, I think being a good leader is really kind of holding good values and, and 
um, really sort of influencing that that circle around you, whether it's, yeah, like I said, whether it's that household or, or the workplace or just being a, a member of society. Yeah, and just staying on you, Linny, because um, growing up, you... Uh, you just told me that you didn't work your first job until you got out of university. So when you were growing up, what kind of leaders did you look up to? Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, so within my household, so I'm a child of refugee parents and really for me, I guess my, you know, my early sort of leadership experience is really being around my parents. So my parents were these amazing role models for me and perhaps as a, as a young child I didn't realise how how big the decisions that they made were to be able to get me to where I am today. But essentially, you know, just seeing them, um, one of the their mantras was always give back to people who were less fortunate than, than them. So, you know, they were refugees. They came with nothing, but yet they were still donating to the poor and, um, you know, and helping the homeless. So I think for me that was, that was my leadership experience and so perhaps that's what sh- what shaped where I am in that, you know, I'm a doctor now and... Um, you know, I initially worked as a pharmacist and, and it was all about helping people. It was getting that education that would allow me to do things in society that would help other, other people. Mm. And I read a quote from you, Daniel, that being a leader doesn't mean that you're the loudest person in the room and that is probably something that we would all agree with. How did you come to that realisation? Yeah, so um, I think back in um, 2018, I participated in the... Um, uh, MTIL program with the City of Melbourne and I thought it was just going to be like a big like networking fun house and um, it was actually uh, you know uh, an applied like uh, emotional intelligence course um, and so the, the, le- the key learnings for me there was like you know about being vulnerable and um, you know open and um, it's uh, okay not to know and you know there's no blueprint to success and, and whatever you see on the um, exterior you have no idea how people got to you know where they are you know Linny's just um, shared you know some, some childhood um, and look where she's now and so um, through that I, you know you can take a breath and go oh okay like yeah like no one knows and, and you know that's okay um, and so yeah that, that's sort of yeah, you raised a good point, and I'll throw to Sally here about not knowing. People must come to you all the time thinking you know all of the answers, but how do you kind of fake your way through that? <laughs> they say fake it till you make it. Uh, I do. I pick up on that point of vulnerability and um, humanity, really, and understanding that we all bring something different. Uh, it's really about searching for what is that best contribution that people in your team can make, that we don't all have to be exactly the same. Uh, and when people come to me with questions, often I ask questions back. It's the most annoying thing. Uh, but really trying to push, I call it challenging to improve. Um, let's keep asking those questions until we're, we're satisfied with, with what the response is going to be. Uh, and that sense of teamwork that comes with that is really important. But I had a really classic example of this in 2018 when I put my hand up to be Lord Mayor, something that I'd never done before, uh, and put a team together. And they kept coming to me with questions and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Uh, and so I had to say to everybody um, and admit that I really didn't know and I was relying on them and that I was going to make a lot of mistakes and it was okay for them to make mistakes too as long as we could trust each other and make sure we responded and uh, kept working together. And the, um, the way that the team then turned that back on me and said, wow, that 
is uh, something that's really building confidence for them because they're also conscious that they're going to make mistakes. So that sense of it's okay to be vulnerable and the confidence that that actually builds can be very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And Peggy, what do you do when you feel like you don't have the confidence to be a leader, but you've got to push through? Um, well, when you were talking about you didn't know it was mayor, well, I didn't know about being president of a football club either. Um, and I thought, well, what, what is this job? Um, and sometimes, uh, and moving from another country and moving here is you just go back to ground zero on confidence. You realize, uh, I remember when I moved here, uh, 30 years ago, uh, I didn't even know how to dial the telephone. It, it was like, this is different than in the US, I don't know. And I, th I thought, how did it go from being in an, a lawyer to now you can't do that, I didn't know how to get requalified, all of those sorts of things. But I think one step at a time, uh, you can't expect yourself to be um, on top of everything all at once. But uh, And when you tell people, I need help, uh, people are very generous and they're more than happy to help you. But I think the one thing is to say uh, to yourself, uh, I don't know, I, I can't fake it till I make it because I'm going to be found out. And I think that a lot of us often find ourselves in positions where we think, how did I arrive here? What do they see in me that maybe I don't see in me? Um, and I, over time, have thought, I'll just keep going and I'll see what happens and uh, I don't have to be perfect and I'll tell people when I need help. And, um, and becoming president of a football club, I thought, oh, uh, sometimes I'd be interviewed and, and I'd get tripped up on, or people would try to trip me up on stats about who played how many games, who did this, and I thought, is that what the president is? You know, you, you can tell that I'm, I'm new to this country if that's what you want to, if that's the point you want to make. Uh, but being president is what I think I can do, and that's why I took on the role, and so that's what I'm gonna concern myself with. This is not my concern. Um, so gradually you build up confidence and, and uh, then when the people around you seem to have confidence in you, that helps you move forward too. Yeah, and you and Daniel are probably the most uh, knowledgeable on the topic of having to uh, let go of staff during COVID and restructure everything because you both work in very people-centric uh, areas and you, Peggy, had to fire a third of your staff or, yeah, lay them off for a bit. How did you handle that as a leader? Uh, well, I'm sort of one step removed. I was part of it, but the hard work had to be the people on the ground at the club uh, because everyone will remember in 2020 when there were no games being played um, and so the edict came out, we don't know where the money's going to come from and um, you're going to have to uh, get rid of staff who were perfect the day before and, and they were, of course, reliant on those jobs as well. Um, you hope that that they understand the situation. And in some ways, um, with COVID, so many people are having to do something similar that you could say, this isn't personal. This is what we're going to have to do in the, uh, over, and at the time. And then over time, some have been hired back. Some went on to different careers, um, and everybody you know, um, sort of moved on. But it was a really um, sort of soul-destroying day to have to talk to people who had given their all and that you were very close to. Football clubs are not very big organizations. Um, and you just felt for them. And I think that was the connection and the closeness that you do feel for the people who you have to, um, have to let go in those terrible circumstances. <clears throat> yeah, it, it was, um, you know, the start of COVID was, was really tricky. We're, we're experiencing something that's never happened before. 
Um, I think the the key to any major um, cha- uh, movements and, and, and changes is communication. Um, and the other side of communication is, is listening. Sometimes it's not even about coming up with a solution. People actually just want to be heard. So for us, um, we, we were... We will. Our workforce is made up of you know, um, uh, you know travellers and that sort of thing. So there was kind of like a, a closing down of um, that season. So some of those people returned home. Um, we managed to keep a, a large amount of our workforce, um, but it was just a you know constant you know communication and update. I think people uh, keeping people engaged. Um, you know, strangely, Zooms are still. Um, hung around but you know doing um sort of doing social things online or trying to be as normal as as possible during those times like really helped sort of bind the bind the crew and um you know i think just being thoughtful in terms of you know like we're in the hospitality game like we affect how people feel and so how do you do that when you're isolated you know my my owners are you know incredibly generous um with their time um and their investment of their staff um, and in that, you know, we're doing um, food and, and beverage drops and, and stuff like that. Mm. So I think you, um, how you treat people uh, at the lowest point is how you, like, you know, make them strong and invested for yeah. the good times. Yep, 100%. And Sal, you've got to go, but my last question for you before you dash off to your next event is about bringing people back to the city. Uh, what are your plans? And you have to redefine leadership every day on that level. So how are we getting getting to where we need to go now? Oh, it's been a big joint effort. And I say to everybody in this room, thank you so much for uh, everything you've done to to keep your people, to bring people back, to uh, have activity in the city because every single effort makes an enormous difference to our community. Um, That sort of uh, leadership has been um, epic, I think, over these two years because just as we would get going again, we've had 6.5 bounce backs in case you weren't sure, just as we would get going again in a bounce back, more bad news would come and we'd go back into a lockdown. So our confidence as a community was really eroded during this time and that sense of caution uh, and caution is probably a nice word for it, uh, became very embedded in our everyday thinking. So to get beyond uh, that COVID caution has been a huge effort in this Bounce Back 6.5 and it's really been events-led in many ways. It's to show people that we can come together again in higher density environments and we can manage that well, that we can live with COVID, that we can run events Uh, I mean, if I think back to even Moomba last year, which we just managed to sneak into Bounce Back 3, we uh, had all sorts of measures in place. And many people, again, in this room know what efforts have been required to build that confidence uh, and to meet regulation and health requirements uh, to uh, be able to bring people back together again. So at every single step, our team, and I'm looking at many of them around the room, have gone above and beyond to make sure that in meeting those standards, we're also building that confidence. And this year, we've just seen that successive building of, I call it, COVID confidence um, to the point where we've got record crowds. We also did a lot of surveying last year, as many of you would have done, to understand the sentiment. And we knew that once people did feel confident that there was this enormous pent-up demand to come back 
for two reasons. One, nostalgic reasons, the things that they've loved over the years that might be family traditions that are important to them for different reasons. And the second part was new things, uh, things they'd never done before, very high expectations about us delivering on new things. And that's why when we did the Christmas uh, extravaganza uh, last year, we added a zip line uh, so we could do the nostalgic and we could surprise and delight people with something that was new. It's great that people have such high expectations even though we've gone through a global pandemic uh, and it's really about rising to that challenge. But there's no doubt that sense of leadership about creating confidence has been absolutely key to our efforts more recently uh, and uh, they've been uh, broad but but I think leadership and building confidence, which Peggy might have said earlier, uh, has been central to what we've been doing. Thank you very much. Sally Cap, everybody. You're free to head off. Um, speaking of new things relaunching the city, Daniel, you went and your um, company, the, uh, the HQ brand, went and launched a new bar called Her Bar, like you must have taken years to kind of conceptualise and now's the time that you've let it out into the world when people are still a little bit potentially hesitant to come in. What made you feel like that was the right decision and that you could do it? Uh, Her Bar has been a, a six year journey. Um, so we purchased, a, purchased the property and then, um, you know, we started thinking up, oh cool, how, what, how are we going to work with it, what, what, you know, what's the... Um, the community or, or neighbourhood we want to build um, in that part of the CBD and um, engage a designer and start a building and then a builder went broke and blah, 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 and then COVID. And so by the time we get to six years down the track, we're so invested in, and um, the, the concept is, is so concentrated in our minds um, that, you know, we're 100% committed to always opening it. Um, while it has been difficult, it's actually um, made it, you know, incredibly strong and, and, you know, we're really lucky to have people like Sally and Nicholas and people from the media and our immediate neighbours and suppliers, um, uh, Shane, who's in the room, um, to, to come and, and champion, you know, the opening um, of that property and, um, we, you know, a lot of compliments about it being, um, you know, on a global scale or uh, also distinctly Melbourne and people take ownership in those things. So. Um, it's been really nice to open um, and, you know, super welcomed by, by the community. So it's been great. Yeah, absolutely. I have so many more questions to ask you about that and just branding stuff. But um, I want to head to Linny and ask you about being a leader in terms of combating misinformation during COVID because that's something that your uh, charity is very invested in. And I was looking on your website and you had a list of, like, frequently asked questions from the community. And that's something the Asian community I would know. I was getting lots of messages from relatives going, you know, is this true? Is that true? But how did you go through that process? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a really good question. I think um, I think everyone saw sort of what the results were of misinformation in the community, whether it was, you know, on a global scale or a local scale. Um, so, as you said, uh, what we did, I, I think what we did well is that we worked with our partners and I think that's really, really important. So, um, you know, us as the organisation with the volunteer healthcare professionals working alongside people actually grounded in the community was a really important step because, um, you know, you can really... You, you know, you, you can talk from, 
you know, the ivory tower of, of say, like the Royal Children's Hospital, for example. Um, but you really need to be kind of that trusted voice that's introduced into that community. So I think when we go out and, and talk about whether it's COVID or vaccination or even women's health or children's health, um, when we have that that kind of sponsor that allows us to, to go in, um, I, I think that's a really sort of important important step because then you are really breaking down what the barriers are to understanding. So, you know, what are the what are the misconceptions? What do people, you know, what do people think are the latest treatments? What how do they think they're contracting COVID? Whatever it is. Um, and then really kind of getting to their level and, and understanding um, yeah, understanding and, and talking to them and, and being able to answer their questions. So I think that's really important. I think it's kind of, you know, get in there talk to people directly, you know, it's that stuff around communication, it's, you know, how transparent you are and, um, yeah, how accessible you are as well. How do you show that you are a leader when you have to communicate with people from so many different backgrounds and languages? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. I think, um, I think as a healthcare professional, there's, there's almost that, you know, there's that title, but for us, for us as an organisation, it's actually about breaking down those titles. You know, for us to be in the community within the playgroups and the churches and the um, the English language schools, I think that kind of pulls us down a level, which almost gives us credibility on the ground. I think, I th- um, you know, it's easy for us to to talk in a clinic room, but when you're in there with the community and actually hearing the stories firsthand, I think that it's a different sort of um, filling in the gaps in terms of information and. Yeah, I think it lends a different sort of credibility. I think it's really important. Yeah. Would you say that that's been one of the most turbulent times of your career or have there been other times that you can also think of? Uh, I mean, I think in the not-for-profit sector, I think obviously, as as everyone in this room will attest to, I mean, business has been challenging during the pandemic and so as a not-for-profit scrambling for, for money as we usually are, um, it's been particularly hard. Um, I think, you know, what we've... Yeah, I think what we've been able to do well is just to continue to to use the opportunities that COVID has presented, and, and yes, there have been some opportunities um, to kind of strengthen what we do and continue to to do what we do. And you know, thankfully to the communities, what we do is free. And so, um, yeah, I think it's been hard in some ways because there's been so much distrust and. Um, as miscommunication, as you said, but also on the other hand, there's been so much opportunity for community to kind of collaborate and work together. And we've, you know, we've seen um, we've seen the stories in the media of you know these little grassroots charities that have really kind of stepped up their game in helping lifting the other the other people within within society. I think it's been really nice. Yeah, um, Linny, you touched on the topic of money, and I want to hear from Peggy in terms of the Richmond Football Club. That was a big issue um, going through decades of not having any money and now you've brought them out of debt so I'm sure a lot of people want to hear a bit about how you did that. Um, And then in recent years we're uh, thankful that we did get out of debt considering what happened. Um, Well it's it's pretty boring and it's pretty basic uh, and it wasn't just me um, but I went on the board in 2005 and became president in 2013. So I was on the board for a number of years before I became president. But the year that I went on the board, we lost $2 million the year before, and we were $6 million in debt, and we only turned over about $42 million. So it was 
pretty awful. Uh, and football is, is people who are fans or any kind of sport. It's a very volatile sort of thing, especially when you rely on attendances. And people attend usually if it's fun to go, which means you have to be winning, and we weren't winning and all of that. So uh, we went back to uh, with some, uh, one of the people on the board was a senior partner, Ernst & Young. And uh, we put in this really strict budgeting, which we still follow. And over time, we said, we'll, we'll put some more money into football, which is what everybody usually puts money into, and uh, after we've retired debt. And, and we got debt down to about $3 million. So we said, for every dollar of debt retired, we'll put a dollar into football now. And, you know, as a fan, you don't want to hear that this is going to be as good as it gets in football while they go about trying to save the club. So the basic thing was we got to save the club. We've got to have a sustainable platform. And if that hadn't happened, we would never have been able to go on and do things that we wanted to do. But because we still budget on very conservatively, um, and it's usually on five-year basis, we look back at five years, but we've been pretty successful in the last five years. So now we're doing five years and discounting it by 20, and we assume that's the budget that we work to, and we've pledged we'll never have operating debt. So it's a really boring kind of things, but anybody who's tried to run um, a, a business knows that if you get those fundamentals right, eventually it gives you um, some freedom to do some other things and make some investments that you want to. And uh, now we've been able to set up an endowment fund, which has come in handy. Um, and that was supposed to be our rainy day um, uh, sort of fund, and it started raining right away. <laughs> and uh, so we, we've been, that's invested, and we're trying to do the best we can. But it, it came back to just sticking with the basics, and no matter what people were saying outside, um, as a board, we kept saying, you know, we know more than they do. We should know more than they do. And we have no reason to change. Um, so it, it just went back to well before there was any, um, uh, you know, idea that we would win. We said we have to keep the club going and this is what will follow. And we continue to follow that. Yep. I need to learn some budgeting basics from you. That was, well, that was my brain was like... <laughs> do as I say, not as I do personally. But, uh, but yes, that, yeah. that's, that's what it came back to. First principles. Yeah, awesome. Uh, we need to wrap up shortly, but um, a question for everybody, but I'll start with Daniel. If you could go back, what advice would you give yourself in terms of leadership? Uh, I think I would tell um, my, yeah, a younger version of myself or... or you know, a young person that, that um, to be vulnerable and it's it's no not a sign of weakness and um, a lot of people uh, are do like don't know and they don't have the answers and it's okay not to not to and then the other side would be um, to challenge yourself like you know be uncomfortable because you don't know what your ceiling is and what and what you're capable of um, I think it was like in the Australian um, on the weekend like Shannon Bennett said you know when you become the smartest person in the room it's time to like move into another room. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, it's you know, it's pretty simple, but you know, I, I sort of like that, like that, you know. Yeah. So if you ever leave the room, I'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lenny? Um, I think for me, it's probably I would tell myself to walk to the beat of my own drum. I think um, you know, growing up, I I felt like 
perhaps I had lots of insecurities and, you know, wanted to be, you know, the coolest person, the funniest person, the smartest person, whatever it was. And I think growing up I learnt that, you know, I could just do what I was doing and be me and, you know, I could pick and choose what what things I liked. You know, when I saw other leaders or other other people I worked with, um, I could pick attributes that I would kind of carry on and, and make my own. Um, and I think that's been... I think it's been a really important lesson for me to learn over the last, you know, last decade or so. Yeah, absolutely. Peggy? Yeah, it, it's a bit of what Lenny was saying. I always thought that, um, looking back with advice, is know yourself well. And, and it's sort of a lifelong journey to know yourself. And it doesn't mean you're the same person all the time, but I think once you know that, then when the, those doors open, you'll know which one to walk through. And... Uh, Sometimes it was everything that comes your way, well, I'll do that, I'll do that. And sometimes it wasn't satisfying because it wasn't really you and you were trying to be someone else and someone told you that that was important so it became important to you. So I think that uh, uh, it's just this lifelong journey of knowing yourself very well and being that person. That's a lovely point to end on for our panel. I know it was very brief, but please join me in thanking all the panellists today. Have a lovely day. listening to an M Pavilion podcast. Conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. <laughs>